This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents, which you can also access at cortezcurrents.ca. As we get closer to the June 30th deadline, when the Department of Fisheries and Oceans has to decide whether to reissue the licenses of 79 British Columbian salmon farms, independent biologist Alexandra Morton, a recent Globe and Mail article revealed the existence of a decade-old DFO report about Quote, the transmission of the PRV virus from farmed to wild salmon, unquote. And Morton said the fish farm industry has exceeded the three lice per fish threshold every week since the out-migration season began on March 1st. Two to five active salmon farms have exceeded the limit every week for the past five weeks. Morton claims that no sooner does the industry bring the lice on one farm under control than another exceeds the limit So DFO recognizes that sea lice breeding on salmon farms is a threat to young wild salmon because in the conditions of license, they ask the industry to stay below three adult lice per farm fish to protect the young wild salmon. A spokesperson for the BC Salmon Farmers Association emailed, quote, during the out-migration period, sea lice counts must be conducted within the first week of the window and once every two weeks thereafter. The results of each counting event must be submitted to DFO by the 15th of the following month. If the sea lice counts exceed the threshold of three lice per fish, DFO must be notified within 48 hours, and a plan must be presented describing the sea lice management measures that will be undertaken to reduce sea lice levels below the threshold within 42 days. Morton refers to this 42-day period as a loophole. They also provide a loophole in another section of the regulation, which says if you go over this threshold, you can have as many lice as you want for 42 days. And then you just need to get the lice down for one week, and you can go over that limit for another 42 days. So the second regulation completely cancels the effect of the first regulation because there's young wild salmon beside almost every salmon farm on the coast right now. And if you allow these dangerous lice levels to generate for six weeks, whole runs of young wild salmon have gone by in that time period and been infected, and these larval lice are spreading, and they are infecting other farms. To me, this is just another very clear example of the regulatory capture of senior DFO staff, which has put our wild salmon at extreme risk in favor of protecting the salmon farming industry. The salmon farming industry posts their own sea lice counts on their website. So this is Maui, Cermak, and Grieg. And the reason they post their numbers every week for every farm is because they really want this aquaculture stewardship certification, which (laughs) says that the the farm salmon are being um, produced sustainably. Restaurants want this certification, the public wants this certification, and so the companies are forced to post their own sea lice counts on their websites. So I look at their data every week, and since March 1st, 
the number of farms per week has ranged from two to five. The Farmers Association spokesperson emailed, quote, the rate of sea lice infestation changes from year to year on both farm-raised and wild salmon. This is directly linked to annual changes in wild host populations and environmental conditions. Factors such as high numbers of Pacific herring, for example, can be correlated to elevated lice counts of C. clemency on farm-raised salmon in the same region at that particular time. Similarly, high wild salmon returns in the autumn months of one year can be correlated to elevated lice counts of L. simonis in the following spring for wild and farmed-raised salmon in the same region. Higher than average water temperatures and salinity are conducted to sea lice production. Low snowpack or winter precipitation can create high temperatures paired with high salinity due to decreased freshwater mountain runoff, which is an optimal environment for sea lice to flourish. Unquote. A University of Toronto study of the 2015 sea louse outbreak in the Broughton Archipelago, of which Andrew Bateman was the lead author and Morton one of the contributors, listed four contributing factors. Quote, one, poorly timed parasiticide treatments of farm salmon relative to wild salmon migration. Two, evolution of resistance to parasiticide treatments in sea lice. Three, anomalous environmental conditions promoting louse population growth. And four, a high influx of lice with an abundant pink salmon return in 2014. Unquote. Another study published last month, found that sea lice have developed a resistance to the principal treatment industry has been using against them. At that time, Brian Kingsett, Science and Policy Director for the BC Salmon Farmers Association, emailed Cortez Currents, quote, Industry has been aware that this has been slowly happening for almost a decade, unquote. Cortez Currents found four fish farms exceeding the limit in the most recent weekly reports posted on industry websites. All 13 Grigg farms were compliant during the second week of April. Nine of the 10 Cermak farms were compliant, the exception being Bidwell Sound, where there were 5.85 lice per fish as of April 11th, and they were planning hydrogen peroxide treatment. 16 of the 19 Maui farms were compliant, the exceptions being Mahata West, where there were 6.83 lice per fish when the April 6th sampling was taken and two farms whose data has not been updated for weeks. There were 26.9 non-motile Shilimus sea lice per fish in Mahata East as of March 16th, and 15.98 Elsimonis in the Castimo farm as of February 15th. So what does this mean? For example, only one of the 10 Cermak farms is exceeding the limit. It's not so much that it's one out of 10, but if you have say five farms lined up in Quatsino Inlet, it just takes one farm being over the limit for one week to infect all the juvenile salmon that are coming out that week. And juvenile salmon aren't necessarily moving. The sockeye do, but the young pink and chum seem to move as far as they need to go to get a good meal. And then they stop and invest in growing because they need to grow really fast to get away from the kingfishers and the trout and the mergansers that are all really, really ready to eat them. It's the placement of the farms that is so deadly. And 
Myself and others argued this back in the early 1990s. Don't put these things in narrow channels on the migration route of young wild salmon. And the reason I knew about this is because what scientists were saying in Norway, where these companies came from, I, I got to say, it just the writing was on the wall from day one. Don't put these things in those narrow channels. Well, of course, that's where the industry wanted to be. They're protected. They're lovely. They're near towns with roads. They, they wanted that. Somebody in Norway looked at a map and they were like, oh yeah, Broughton, Quatsino, Nuka, Klakwit. We want you, Discovery Islands. We're going to put our farms there. And so they did. We're trying to unravel this whole thing right now. And I think there's an opportunity for it. But whether we're dealing with PRV or the cause of mouth rot, which is tenacity baculum, or sea lice, which are so easy to see and to study, it's the same mechanism. Salmon farms break the natural laws. They crowd the fish together. They don't allow the predators in. Nobody migrates. And so you cause these buildups of many different pathogens. And the young wild salmon go by. And the way salmon breathe, of course, is they take water in their mouth and pass it over their gills. And so all of these pathogens, these high levels of industrial level pathogens are passing over their gills, coming into direct contact with their bloodstream. I'm not saying this is in any way their goal, but this is the perfect way to wipe out salmon. I mean, it's perfect. Everybody goes out, everybody gets filtered through this. It's like running sheep through sheep dip or like walking your child through the infectious disease ward in a hospital. It really is like that. And this has occurred on the central coast near Clem 2, in Quatsino Sound and in Clockwood Sound. So that's 450 kilometers of this coastline have salmon farms that are generating levels of sea lice that are dangerous to young wild salmon. Clockwood Sound is just really painful to watch because the, the companies are basically playing sea lice whack-a-mole. They get a farm down, another one goes up. They get that one down, the first one goes up again. The industry spokesperson emailed, quote, BC salmon farmers have invested millions of dollars in robust, innovative technology to mitigate and manage sea lice and are continually looking at ways in which innovation can be adapted to improve overall conditions. Examples include nearly 100 million invested over the last three years in new vessels designed to gently remove sea lice from farm-raised salmon through mechanical means, fresh water, or hydrogen peroxide baths, all of these technologies effectively remove and capture sea lice and eggs for responsible disposal on land, removing them from the ecosystem and helping to lower the overall lice population in an area. Unquote. They've got boats out, yeah, out there power washing these fish. They're called hydrolysers. They run the, the salmon through the, the hydrolyser and it's supposed to spray the lice off. Well, those of us doing research around these boats have found that they're putting the lice right back into the water. There's unprecedented numbers of juvenile lice coming out of these boats. So they're reinfecting their own fish, but they're also heavily infecting the juvenile fish. So my concern is 
as they try to bring these lice down, they're actually making the problem worse. Now, none of this is surprising. This has happened in Norway, Scotland, Ireland, Chile, <laughs> Eastern Canada, everywhere these specific companies operate, they have the same problem. It's not solvable. The sea lice just get past everything these boats do. Right now, they're using hydrogen peroxide solutions. They're uh, sucking the fish into these huge ships, 77 meters, 300 feet long ships they're bringing over from Norway. By the way, the, the boats didn't work in Norway, and so it's no surprise they're not working here. They suck the fish in and they soak them in hydrogen peroxide solution. And then all that solution gets released into the ocean where it can impact our zooplankton, our larval euphosids, the shrimp, and then prawns and crab. Or they suck the fish in and they soak them for six hours in fresh water. Now, this is really alarming because the farms they treated in Quatsino Sound with fresh water, some of them had lice infections came on and tripled the level that was there before the treatment. Well, if you just think about this a minute, sea lice right now don't survive in freshwater. And when wild adult salmon come back and they go into the rivers to spawn, the sea lice that ride in with them die. But if this industry trains the lice on this coast to be able to resist fresh water, what's going to stop them going into the rivers and lakes and eating all the juvenile steelhead and trout and chinook and coho and sockeye that spend a year in fresh water? I mean, this is an incredibly dangerous thing they're doing. Have you got any other evidence that the sea lice might be adapting to freshwater? Well, if the freshwater treatments were working, then the, the salmon farming industry would not be going over the three louse limit because they currently have three well boats and I think four or five of the hydrolysers running around the entire coast trying to keep these lice down right now. And they're failing. So if the industry had found one method that worked, I'm sure they would be relying on it, but they don't have that. Freshwater is not working. It's, it's interesting because what I'm seeing over the last two years is a real split between the minister of fisheries and the DFO senior staff, which to their credit, were given an impossible mandate to both regulate and promote Salmon. Now, back in 2010, Justice Bruce Cohen flagged this as a problem. He said, we're going to see divided loyalties. Oh, yeah, we're definitely seeing divided loyalties. And DFO created this monster called the Aquaculture Management Division. And it's well populated and funded. And it's in DFO filtering all the science that gets to the minister. I mean, this article that came out in the Globe and Mail on April 14th is pretty shocking. I've known about this for years. I took the industry and DFO to court back in 2013 to stop them from putting PRFV infected farm salmon into the ocean. But the DFO senior staff argued it's not a disease agent. It's not 
causing a problem. They covered up the fact that a DFO scientist was reporting that it's causing massive red blood cell rupture in Chinook salmon. She's referring to Dr. Christy Miller-Saunders' 2012 study of the PRV virus among BC's open net fish farms. Miller-Saunders, a senior research scientist in salmon genetics at the DFO's Pacific Biological Station in Nanaimo, wrote the Globe and Mail, quote, it's really a travesty that this study could not come to light 10 years ago, and that the findings associated with this virus have been so contentious in Canada, as the role this virus plays in disease development in salmon in other countries is not disputed, unquote. She also said, quote, sequence epidemiology, similar to what has been done to track the spread of SARS-CoV-2 in humans, shows that the virus originated in Norway and spread to North America some 30 to 35 years ago, and it has been actively transmitted between farmed and wild salmon in BC, unquote. DFO explained there was a disagreement among the authors of this paper, and under the Aquaculture Collaborative Research and Development Program, this prevented its release. The reason the DFO staff hid this is because if this became accepted, then PRV would have to be designated as a disease agent and under section 56 of our fisheries regulations, the industry would not be able to put these infected fish in their farms from their hatcheries. When I took Maui, which called themselves Marine Harvest at the time, to court, they told the court that they would be quote unquote severely impacted if they were prohibited from transferring infected fish into the farms, PRV infected fish. DFO also argued that PRV was local. It was a endemic virus on this coast. Pacific salmon were adapted to it. That also is not true. Recent research published by Dr. Gideon Mordecai out of UBC, who holds the Lieber Arrow Chair, this is a high ranking scientist, he looked at the genetic sequence of PRV all over Chile, Norway, Eastern Canada, here. He's got the fingerprints on it, and it came from Norway. Dr. Mordecai told Cortez Currents. Our findings show that salmon farms are indeed a source of infection for wild fish. Viruses leave a genetic fingerprint, and the genetic fingerprint shows that the same viruses that are in the farms are in the wild fish. All the evidence suggests that the virus is being transmitted from the farm to wild fish, and I haven't seen any evidence which says that's not happening. The industry spokesperson's response was to attack the credibility of scientific studies that, quote, largely focused on viral discovery. They have failed to publish any scientific studies that investigate whether the viruses they discovered are actually threatening wild or farmed stocks, unquote. She also emailed, quote, any study considering the transmission dynamics between farmed and wild salmon should recognize that all farmed Atlantic salmon entering the marine environment have been verified PRV-free. In other words, farmed Atlantic salmon do not introduce PRV to the marine environment. Rather, they acquire it during their ocean residency." Unquote. I'm not sure the salmon farming industry is fully grasping the consequences of this article, making it onto the front page of the Globe and Mail. 
we have the fingerprints of your viruses. They are in the Skeena. They are in the Fraser River. They are in juvenile Chinook salmon all along the coast of Vancouver Island near the salmon farms. And it's killing them. So this regulatory capture of the DFO staff has to end. I think your, your listeners probably know, but all the last 79 salmon farm licenses on this coast are going to expire, most of them on June 30th. So Minister Joyce Murray is tasked with a really big job of dealing with this very aggressive industry. It's using First Nations as a shield right now, trying to protect themselves from her. And she has to decide if she's going to renew these licenses. The further complication for the industry is that the minister was given a mandate letter from our prime minister to get this industry out of the water by 2025. So really what Minister Murray has to do is tell them, okay, no more broodstock, no more eggs. You guys need to wind down. They need instructions to wind down. We know this because they sued the minister for removing the farms from the Discovery Islands. And in that lawsuit, the industry kept saying, nobody told us, nobody told us. Of course, if they'd been listening, they would have known because Justice Bruce Cohen recommended getting the industry out of the Discovery Islands. So this is an important moment in the history of this coast. I'm very concerned about the sea life situation. I'm trying to raise awareness continuously. I'm giving Minister Murray the benefit of the doubt. She hasn't made her move yet. She hasn't told us what she's going to do. But we have so many wild salmon runs on the verge of extinction. I'm not sure, for example, the Chinook and Clockwood Sound are going to last till 2025. Runs of tens of thousands are down to the double digits. You know, first of all, you've destroyed most of the genetic diversity. But second of all, one merganser school could wipe out a school of juveniles. So it's, we're really down to the wire. I just want to say to the workers on the fish farms, I don't know what you're hearing, but my advice to you is start looking for another job. Start considering what you might do to protect yourself because when this industry goes down, I don't think the companies are going to protect you. I hope the government does, but they didn't protect the fishermen who were impacted by this. In my neighborhood of Echo Bay, there were fishermen whose livelihood was prawn fishing. The salmon farming industry came and just put their anchors right on their prawn grounds. Nobody got compensated. They didn't get a reduction in their license. They just took a hit. So I'm not sure what's going to happen to you. I hope the government protects you, but just think ahead. And, and start looking around, apply to DFO for fish work. I mean, on the North Island, we can't find anybody to build our houses. There's no electricians, there's no plumbers, there's no dog walkers, there's no babysitters. There's almost like everything a community needs, we don't have. So I think there's a lot of jobs out there and I just hope you will protect yourself and, and think about what you will do when the salmon farming industry closes, because it's coming. You've been listening to an interview with Alexander Morton, as well as three emails from the BC Salmon Farmers Association, a short clip from Cortez Current's previous interview with Dr. Gideon Mordecai, and numerous written reports about sea lice and pathogens. Sometime in the next 47 days, Minister Joyce Murray 
will have to decide if the salmon farming industry can continue to populate British Columbia's waters. This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents. Goodbye. <laughs>